Thank you, Jeff. Would you express your appreciation for Jeff and the team? They work hard every Sunday to bring our hearts before the throne of grace. And I am very appreciative for the talent that God has infused within them, uh, for their willingness to serve, and for the effort that they've put into this. Phil was sitting in the TV lounge area, as he did most mornings, and as happened most mornings at the retirement home. Bernie came in and sat down next to him. Phil said, Bernie, I'm surprised to see you. I thought you were dead. And Bernie said, oh, I'm not dead. I'm here. And he, Phil looked at him again. He said, are you sure? Because I got it from a very reliable source. And Bernie said, look, Phil, why don't you do us both a favor and just stay off the Internet? The social media stuff has overwhelmed our culture. And we, in so many ways, don't know what to do with it. In some ways... Social media is great. In some ways, social media really causes some problems. It happened in Fishers this week. A week ago today, Michael Sinkfield lost his cell phone. Didn't know what happened to it, but wasn't too concerned about it. Monday morning, he got on the school bus, and kids on the bus were crying. And some of them were just overjoyed all of a sudden to see him. He couldn't understand what was going on. And then they explained. They had all gotten a message from his cell phone. From somebody claiming to be his dad. Explaining that he'd been killed in a car crash. The junior high student from Fishers was astounded. It spread through social media, through Facebook and Instagram. Something like 2,000 people marked that they had seen it. His mom even got a telephone call from the school principal offering his condolences. Well, it all, of course, turned out to be a hoax. And what I got me, what, what I started thinking about that was, why? Why would somebody do that? What would motivate somebody to find a lost cell phone and then pull that kind of hoax? Maybe he was just bored. Maybe there was some kind of unmet need. Maybe he wanted to feel the power of influencing lots of lives. Maybe he was just curious about what would happen. And that got me thinking. What is it that motivates us? What is it inside us that drives us? What is it that pushes us? What is it in, within us that is lacking? What is missing? What would you like to see different in your life? Maybe you'd like to see a different report from the bathroom scale. Maybe that would be good for you. Maybe you'd like to stop smoking or maybe you'd like to pay off some credit card debt. But is there something more? This morning we're going to talk about making a difference in your life Primarily, we're going to focus this morning on wanting more. And this morning, we're going to talk especially about wanting more of God. Deep within us, we have a longing. We have a void. There is an emptiness inside us that we long to fill. 
the psalmist expressed that. I want to ask you to go to Psalm 42. And I'm going to give you a little time to find that in your Bible. Go to Psalm 42. And while you're looking for, at, for that, I want to take you to some words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. At verse 6, it's recorded that Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus is telling us that we need something. He's telling us that we need a hunger. We need a thirst. We need a deep desire. We need a genuine craving for righteousness. Building on that idea, a preacher named Erwin Lutzer wrote, We don't have to be super saints, just thirsty sinners. I want you to hold on to that idea. That what God is really looking for, what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, is that He is looking for thirsty sinners. Now let's read what the psalmist had to say about that. Let's go to Psalm 42. And let me read that for you. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with my God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs His love. At night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior. And my God. I want to go back to verse 1, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 42, and I want to ask you what are you thirsty for? Advertisers know that you are thirsty. One of the most successful advertising campaigns was one of the most simple ever invented got milk 
And it was so popular because the advertisers had touched on a sensitive spot. The marketing people know that we have needs. They also know we have perceived needs. We have desires that are not being satisfied. So I want to go back to ask what I did before. What do you want? Do you want more money? Would you like some relief from pain? Would you like some peace in your family? Would you like to have approval from a parent? We all have a want. The psalm writer expressed his deepest want, his greatest desire. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What the psalmist is expressing is that God has created us to need Him. Within most of us, there's something like a vacuum. There's a gap. There's an empty space. And only the one true God can fill that. That sense of emptiness, that inherent need, is intensified by difficulty. The psalmist says in verse 3 of the text that we read that he is eating... He is, instead of eating, instead of eating, he's shedding tears day and night. In verse 5, he says that his soul is downcast. You know what? If your soul is downcast, we probably would say, I've got a really bad case of the blues. In verse 7, He uses an analogy of a waterfall. He speaks of waves and breakers. I have repeatedly heard people describe grief to me as waves in an ocean. I've heard grief described as suffocating, pounding, overwhelming. In verse 9, the, the psalmist asks God, Why have you forgotten me? Have you ever wondered if God has forgotten about you? Have you ever felt that he's just distant? Now, when is it that we're most likely to feel forgotten? It's probably going to be when we're lonely. So is it any wonder that the writer of this psalm says he's thirsty? This reads as if he's not eating right. He's depressed. He is in grief And he's lonely. The longing for God, the search for the divine, the desire for a relationship with our Creator is universal. Now you may know someone who has specifically expressed that they have no interest in God. They have no desire to live the kind of life that God would have us live. And I think that the primary reason for that, especially in our culture is that there are so many other fountains from which people have chosen to drink. When you have a deep thirst, you will find a way to quench it. And if our desires 
that God-given desire, that emptiness, that longing is not filled by God, then we will quickly turn to something else to alleviate our thirst. Dr. Billy Graham has written, It is contrary to reason for a thirsty person to turn from a pure, sparkling mountain stream to quench his thirst in a stale, putrid system. Yet that is what the human race does when it turns from God's truth and God's standard in favor of the devil's impure philosophies. Think about the culture around us. Think about the streams from which people are drinking, the fountains from which they are drinking, the places they are going, the philosophies they are adopting, the religions they are turning to in order to fulfill their desires. And we can see that Dr. Graham is right. People will find a place to drink. And if they don't go to the pureness of God's living water to His Son Jesus, they will find all kinds of impure water sources. Craig Larson tells a story that caught my attention. I'm a movie buff, and so if you recognize the scene from the movie that he describes, would you let me know because I'd really like to see this. Mr. Larson writes, As a kid... I saw a movie in which some shipwrecked men were left drifting aimlessly on the ocean in a lifeboat. As the days passed under the scorching sun, their rations of food and water quickly gave out. The men grew deliriously thirsty. One night, while the others were asleep, one man ignores all the previous warnings and gulps down some salt water. He quickly dies. Ocean water contains seven times more salt than the human body can safely ingest. Drinking it, a person dehydrates because the kidneys demand extra water to flush the overload of salt. The more salt salt water someone drinks, the thirstier he gets. He actually dies of thirst. We thirst desperately for something that looks like what we want. We don't realize, however, that it is precisely the opposite of what we need. And it can kill us. That teaches me that how we fill this natural thirst is critical. So let's learn from Psalm 42 how we can quench our thirst for God in ways that are healthy and that will really meet our need. I want to go back to Psalm 42 and I want to take you this time to verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Now, I notice first in this that the psalmist recalls the good times. The good times that he found in the multitude. 
the large number of people that were going together into the temple in the city of Jerusalem to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's important to be with people. It is especially important to be with people for worship. Now, it is equally important to worship alone. I've had some deeply moving times of worship at home, in the woods, on a lake. At the same time, God created us to need each other. There's a unique benefit in worshiping together. In verse 4, the psalmist recalls worship in the temple with a genuine passion. He says, I remember as I pour out my soul how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession with shouts of joy. As the people worshipped God in the temple, there were shouts of joy. Now, I don't know how it happened, but sometime, over the, somehow, over the centuries, we have stopped shouting. We are not a people that shout for joy a great deal. Now, we do sing. And we have some wonderful songs, some beautiful ways to express our joy. And we're going to see in just a few moments that we really do have a great deal to be thankful for, a great deal to sing about, and a great deal to shout about. The writer also tells us in verse 4 about Thanksgiving. He tells us about the festive throng. And he's reminding us of the power of fellowship. Now, on television you can find some very good preachers. There are some good preachers on radio. They have some good lessons to impart. They can be inspirational, but here's something they cannot do. They cannot fellowship with you. One of the primary reasons that God gave us the church is fellowship. He gave us the church to be involved in one another's lives as you are doing. He gave us the church so that we can share the good times and we can shout for joy together. And then in the bad times... We can cry together and give each other the emotional support that we need. We learn from our text that one of the ways that we satiate this ongoing thirst for God is worship. To join with others in singing and shouting, in offering praise and sharing fellowship. Now I want to go on to verse 5. And I want us to find there another way for us to find satisfaction in our thirst for God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. We live in a world of such abundance. that we very often miss what the writers of the Bible want to teach us. Now, this writer is going to his God for hope. So very often, we rely on our bank account. Something that comes to mind is the people that are suffering the effects of Hurricane Sandy keep turning on their light switches. Hoping, aren't they? Every day, hoping that they have electricity again. 
what the psalmist is teaching us is that God is our first hope. Some of, so very often we think of God as our last hope. Some of you have already learned that he really is our first hope. If we would go on to Psalm 107, verse 9, we would read this, prob- this promise. He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Jesus himself built on that idea. Jesus promised that he himself would be all we need. At John chapter 6, verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus promises that when we trust in him, we will be satisfied. We will not be hungry. We will not be thirsty. I think that living in a land of such abundance, it is difficult for us to really understand the dramatic impact that this statement had on the people that originally heard what Jesus Jesus said. We have to use our imagination a little bit if we're really going to grasp the impact of this promise. Jesus was talking to people who knew hunger. If there was a famine in the land, there was hunger. We had a drought this summer. People were concerned. Corn prices started to go up. What are we going to do? We didn't get too concerned about it. We'll import it. Grain is growing someplace else. We'll bring it by ship. We'll bring it by truck. We didn't have any worry. But these people, if there was a crop failure, they went hungry. Some of them would carry water miles every day. The land that Jesus grew up in was an arid desert land. And sometimes people would carry water for miles every day just to have enough water for their family. Jesus was talking to people who knew what it was like to see children with distended bellies because they were hungry. The hope of the bread of life for the hungry is a life-giving hope. And we miss so much of that. For most of us, our biggest concern is, at lunch, am I going to have beef or chicken? And I wonder if that contributes to us not recognizing the pangs of hunger when we are spiritually empty. So I'm asking you this morning, are you hungry for a relationship with God? Is there an ache in you that you haven't been able to identify? Is there a longing in you that you haven't been able to put a label on? Do you just have the sense that something's missing? I would identify that as a thirst for God, as a longing for His presence. And if you've been feeling that, if you've been feeling something is missing, if you feel like there's an empty spot inside of you, if you feel like somehow you're just hungry, you're just thirsty, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. First of all, I want to say, if you are feeling that, know that you are not alone. 
Many of us know how that feels. A second way that you are not alone is that our God does not abandon us. He gave us His promise. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So now we have a better understanding of how we can be content with what we have. The Hebrew writer explains to us, our Savior is enough. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He is enough. If you feel like you're loving money, if you feel like you're preoccupied with your income, with your expenses, if you feel like you're just preoccupied with your 401k, that's a symptom. It's a gauge that is telling us that something is missing. We're trying to fill a void. We're trying to satisfy a longing. And the reason we're trying to satisfy it is we have not yet really come to the conclusion that God is enough. Not being content with what you have is very much like a flashing light trying to get your attention, telling you that there is something wrong in your relationship with your Creator. Our God is enough. Unlike money or popularity or houses or clothes or cars, He will not leave or forsake us. That is the hope that the psalm writer has, and it's the hope that you can have as well. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 7, verse 16, and show you something that the Bible says about heaven. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. What this is teaching us is that God slakes our thirst for the eternal. When we worship God Almighty, when we hope in our Savior, when we praise Him, we will be satisfied. Look again back to Psalm 42. I want to take you back to verses 5 and 6. I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I want to point out that there is an amazing power in praise. When we sing, when we speak, when we pray, there is power in understanding and celebrating who our God is. Praise is more than saying thank you. Now, thanksgiving is essential. And next Sunday, I get to come back, Lord willing, and I get to talk to you about the essentialness of Thanksgiving as, as I get to preach on the Sunday before that holiday. We're going to talk next week about the importance of giving thanks. But right now, I want to focus on praise. Not just thanking God for what He's done for us, but praising Him for who He is, marveling at His awesome power, expressing reverence for His holiness, basking in the light of His love. Praise is one of the juiciest ways of finding refreshment from the Lord. Now, 
The psalmist is also going to teach us about remembering. Go to Psalm 42, verse 6 this time. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. When your soul is downcast, when you're sad, when you've got the blues, it can be very helpful to remember. To remember the times when things were not good, but God was there for you. This is a great time to count your blessings, to focus on the good that the Savior has done for you. Now, include in that worship and fellowship and hope and praise and remember. I think that is a great start to, first of all, cultivate a thirst for God. And then to find satisfaction for our spiritual craving. All this thinking about thirst led me to a story about water. I did some research about the Amazon River. The Amazon River is the longest river in the world. At its mouth, it's about 90 miles across. So much water comes out of the Amazon River that 200 miles out in the Atlantic Ocean... They can measure its current. The force of the current, the sheer volume of water coming out of that river, causes the Amazon River water to continue flowing for 125 miles before it mixes with the water of the Atlantic Ocean. Early sailors could drink fresh water out of the ocean even before they got sight of South America. Theologian John Donne tells a story about a crew of Spanish sailors who were approaching the South American continent after a very long, very dangerous voyage. Not having very good navigation, they did not realize that they were approaching the waters of the Amazon River. They didn't realize there was a river there because they could not yet see land. They had spent months knowing that they could not drink the water that they were traveling on. Although it didn't look any different, and the change happened very slowly, they were right on top of a huge quantity of fresh water. And with all of that nourishing Fresh water all around them. Some of those sailors died of thirst. It's a tragic story. It's a story that is lived again. Time after time. In our culture. In our nation. In our community. People are starving. People are dying of thirst. They are hungry and thirsty for God. And don't know that life-giving water is all around them. And they don't draw from Him. So I want to go back to what I was asking earlier. Are you thirsty? 
Are you ready to draw from the well of God's grace? You can do that this morning. You can find the fulfillment that you are seeking in Jesus Christ. You can find the hope that you need. I would love to talk to you about that. If you've been feeling thirsty, if you've been feeling hungry, if you've been feeling empty, if you're feeling something is missing, I'd love to talk to you this morning. Donna and I will be here for a little while. Your elders are here and available for you. Jeff is here. Any one of us would love to talk to you about how you can satisfy your thirst for the living God. I want to lead us in a prayer. Father in heaven, I am so, so grateful. So grateful for your promises that you do not leave or forsake us. So grateful that through your son Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, through your Holy Spirit living in us, you meet our need in all of this. I am so grateful for your love and for your mercy. Father, I know that there are people here this morning that are thirsty. I know there are people here this morning who are hungry. I know there are people here this morning who have an ache. And so I ask, Father, that you will use us as a church body, use the leadership, use me, use Jeff, as your conduits, your channels, your pipeline, for your grace, your love, your life-giving water to flow into lives today. And we ask that you will do this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.